Beautiful. First things first, um, it's pronounced Evangelion. Master of Mediocrity. This is Jessica, your lieutenant of literature, accompanied by the child who thinks she's having a conversation with me and will continue to talk. I love her. I love that all about her. She's learning communication skills without actually directly participating. And I wonder if at some point we should just start <laughs> actually incorporating her into the show, but like that's neither here nor there. It's fine. So you may have decided to click on today's episode being like, bet girls talking comics. Ha ha, we're talking pros. Pros, pros, pros. Surprise or not, if you were listening to our book club episodes of season two. Thanks for coming back. Okay. Yes. Yes. Thank you for coming back. So, okay, legit. Um, Today we are talking about a book that... Jess got like all up in the hype for because she's all connected to literary Twitter or whatever. And the author also seems like a very hilarious, fun person. by accident. I mean, accident or no, embrace your truth. So (laughs) you got so hyped for this book. This book was also like New York Times bestseller. The world kind of exploded over this book. Not the world, but at least English reading circles. Oh, the world. I mean... No, the world, because it's in, like, Brazil, and it's, yeah, it's... Oh, legit. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 at least Brazil is also excited about it. <laughs> okay. So. so, in my head... Uh, okay. This book is called Iron Widow. All right? You've probably heard of it. If great. If so, great. We're late to the pickup, because I just read it, like, a week ago. Anyway, Iron Widow. Now, it is based in a fictional kind of like Chinese culture. So I realized like in my head, I could say these words, but I'm not entirely sure my mouth could get the sounds out right. And I didn't practice beforehand. And this is stage fright. And oh my God, I guess I could take time to listen. But I'm also just going to try my best. Do your best. I Do your yeah. best and we'll fuck around and find out. I really feel like this book deserves more than just my best in the minute, but I'm having a lot of stage anxiety and panic, so we're just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me read to you the synopsis of this book and a little bit of information about the author. Both of them are very entertaining and very hooking. Let's, I guess, start with the author. Their name is Shiron J. Zhao. They are a first-generation immigrant from small-town China who was raised by the internet. A recent graduate of Vancouver's Simon Fraser University. University? Wow, that's the word that I... Okay. Anyway, they wrote science fiction and fantasy (laughs) while they probably should have been studying more about biochemical pathways. You can find them on Twitter for memes, Instagram for cosplays and fancy outfits, and YouTube for long videos about Chinese history and culture. Iron Widow is their first novel. Pick up the hint, they go by they, them. I. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy hinting involved. Heavy hinting. It's called reading comprehension. Okay. So that might beg the question. Uh, what is this book about? Obviously, Zhao it has like, I love their sense of humor that they're presenting. Their author photo is them in a cow onesie. Fucking love it for them. Amazing. But their story 
like really comes off very different from the context of their author photo and their slightly irreverent author description. Let's see if I don't fuck this up. In Hua Xia, the highest honor for a young girl is to be selected as a concubine pilot. Supporters paired up with male pilots to power up chrysalises, the giant transforming mechas that humanity relies on to battle the massive aliens that lurk beyond the Great Wall. But the offer, the honor often ends in death, and when 18-year-old Zexian's sister is killed by an ace male pilot, Zexian signs up to avenge her. The vengeance is swift, brutal, and unexpected, leaving Zexian labeled as an iron widow, a much-feared kind of female pilot who can sacrifice boys to power up chrysalises instead of the other way around. To tame her unnerving yet invaluable mental strength, she is paired up with Li Ximin, the strongest and most controversial male pilot in Hua Jia. But now that Zetian has had a taste of power, she will not cower so easily. She will miss no opportunities to leverage her and Ximin's combined might in infamy and survive attempt after attempt on her life until she can figure out exactly why the pilot system relies so heavily on destroying girls' lives and dismantle it. For good. Dismantling patriarchal systems. Whoa. Wonderful. Fuck yes. Feminism. That's the spiel for the book. So I want to talk a lot about how feminism is portrayed and processed by our heroine Zetian and how Zhao is giving us context information and like other cues about it. Sounds vague. I'll provide an example. Would you like me to start with my example, Jess? Uh, sure, but can we read the nerd summary that they also wrote for the book? Oh my god, yeah! Let's start with the nerd summary. Go for it! Bonus summary for weebs. Under siege by monsters beyond the Great Wall, like that shitty Matt Damon movie, except the monsters are Cybertronian-like sentient machines, a society that has the fashion, social customs, and beliefs of ancient China, but futuristic tech fights back by pulling a neon genesis uh, evangelion whatever and rebuilding their very invaders into giant mecca a boy girl pair in their teens because of course they had to be teens pilot the mecca darling in the frank style except in a much more sensible position he hugs her from behind Unlike the other one, of course we know. That was my insert. That was not theirs. Under command of human pilots, these mecha take on forms inspired by East Asian myth creatures and transform like Transformers through Digimon-esque evolution lines that get more humanite as you go on. The pilots physically embody them, so it's more Attack on Titan than rules than Gundam. Oh, and they blast key attacks, so the battles honestly read like a bunch of fur furries engaged in a Dragon Ball Z fight, and that's no one's fault but mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. And that is why I bought the book. Beautiful. Uh, first things first, um, it's pronounced Evangelion. Thank you. I kept I kept just like seeing it and my brain went, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just complain a little bit about this? Just one more complaint. Because do you know how much of my nerd cred gets immediately just destroyed at the base when I'm talking to dudes and they're trying to talk to me about this stupid fucking anime that I refuse to watch now because it's just just demoralized me in so many nerd battles before I've even gotten to the fighting ring, you know? It's just real bad. They're like, oh, you like to watch anime, but have you watched 
Uh, anyway, feminism. Okay. So first off, people discredit, discrediting your opinion because you cannot pronounce words is a form of ableism, maybe classism, depending on the context. Anyway, second, my example. Zeixin, throughout this book, has a very, very colorful inner monologue. And what I enjoy the most about how her growth is presented is she actively has short epiphanies where she understands how the patriarchal system that exists is also fucking up the dudes who are in it. Now, like, what? why that's a good example for me is that when people talk about feminism in today's world, they often talk about how the toxicity of the current system negatively impacts even those who benefit from it by perpetuating toxic ideas, poor self-care beliefs, like just bad perceptions of masculinity, affection, relationships, femininity, without really fostering kind of a self-development, you know, like you don't get to become your true self. And so feminists, or at least current wave and current age feminists, it's all about like dismantling that system. It's not about what is better or what is worse or defining what is masculinity and what femininity. It's just like dismantling the system that gives value to those traits or takes values away from those traits. I want people to have a healthy, affectionate relationship with their friends, regardless of their gender or sex or presentation like fuck it hold your friend's hand if you like them go arm in arm i get two and i because i present as femme fuck you do it too i don't give a shit <laughs> like anyway so those epiphanies that she, that she has through the stories i thought were really really great because instead of it being very like i don't know it it is a story of a young woman coming into her own and experiencing her own worth and power like as who she is, including the gender, by also like defying the gendered expectations of her. But it also is a story of sympathy and profound empathy skills, like understanding how it impacts those that she even considers who benefit from it. You know, like it, I don't know. I just, I thought that was a really great and poignant like point to make is that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you get it. So that was my example of how feminism comes out in this book and what I thought was like really fucking killer. And can I just point out how much I love that that's your example because it's focusing on the empathy and the forward momentum of the movement toward inclusivity across gender lines, which does nothing but benefit us and kind of helps to wash out the turfy backwash taste of some of the prior waves of mm-hmm. feminism that were not inclusive enough and were from very one like very much one prism i think it helps that they are coming from a, a immigrant perspective because I, I they definitely were born in china and then yeah, they count as an immigrant. I don't know. Sometimes my brain gets confused on how, like, first generation, second generation, like, immigrant status, how all of that works. I know that it kind of matters just because of um, being a member of the dysphoria, not dysphoria, diaspora, there you go. but also dysphoria, <laughs> but <laughs> being a member of the diaspora, I know that 
they talk a lot about that in their YouTube videos because that's actually the first time that I interacted with them on any platform. I was watching their YouTube videos. Uh, their very first one popped up on my feed because that was like how locked in I was to book talk. And then they kind of circulated heavy on bread and book talk. And YouTube knew that I was going to watch two hours worth of a person talking and slam dunking on like modern social media for not doing basically uh, anything right. (laughs) I.e. their first video was about the new Mulan movie live action from Disney. (laughs) And they were like, they undid everything I love about that original cartoon. (laughs) I was like, oh, damn. No. Drag Um, them. But anyway. Drag them, Zhao. Drag them. Drag them for filth. Yes. But the reason I appreciated that that was your first, first talking point is because the way that I sell this book is to tell people about one of the little book blurbs on the cover that calls it a feminist scream of rage. And I think it's very important to understand that you can still be rageful while being inclusive because that is literally how the main character how she gets to see sort of the the matrix she sees she has neo moments where she sees how it is fucking with everyone you know Mm -hmm. and also like because key is involved they also were able to sort of put a little bit of their nb narrative into this femme and female presenting character and i'm kind of hopeful that she will be kind of skewed to she them by the second book because there is a second book coming as a duology so i'm kind of excited to see how maybe that goes as just from like a diversity in teen books and and new adult books i'm very excited because they do not hold themselves to gender norms at all. It's just really fun because angry, angry protagonist main lady and her two points of the triangle. Two love the interests. Triangle is the strongest shape. Yep. That both her of lovers. Her, both of her love lovers, interests not love interests. Lovers. Mwah. Mwah. You're right. They're lovers. All three of uh, them. It's just, y'all. All fucking three. Spoilers. All Sorry, three but of them, like. Y'all. Mm. Triangle's the strongest shape. I'm not sorry. <laughs> strongest shape. And um, OT3. <laughs> but um, yeah, they they all have different levels of, you know, femininity, masculinity. And it kind of, you see it kind of swirling around them like the key itself, mm-hmm. kind of. Which is just a really fun, a fun piece of the storytelling. <laughs> I'm getting such a nasty look for my daughter right now. She's like, mother, I'm trying to communicate with you and you're not listening to me. Uh, But I just really have a couple of very important pieces of this book that just kind of stand out to me. The soft character, quote unquote, her childhood friend who later comes up in the book as being sort of like just this very rich dude. Like he's soft and has a lot of money. He has a couple of moments where he shows this incredible, just profound amount of bravery and strength. And she comes out of the first mecha battle and she has this like very picturesque moment of just strength and like sheer insanity. Like, I do not give a fuck what happens to me. I'm going to make all of you have nightmares. And then like Shimon 
is that is is this scary ass dude that everyone's terrified of but then you get to know him and he's just this fucking nerd he's just this quiet nerd who just has happens to have a bunch of muscles like that's you know and i just love the complexity of all of their characters in this book because they just do so good they just do so good i actually want to read the line um that you're talking about because i resonated with the scene i've not had that moment you know but that the energy the drive the like the fantasy of this scene has come to me before because i I have existed in worlds where the skills that i've learned according to my gender i mean give me what i want but or i can work towards at least the least hurtful situation i i I don't want to say i'm such a good negotiator i get everything that I need but there is a power fantasy that I have as an angry woman who wants to fight against you know the patriarchal system that we have that when this scene happened I was like this is the best fucking moment in the world there are two scenes but the one that you were talking about is the one I want to read but it's the last line of a chapter I'm just going to read it you've been living a dream for long enough I yell at the cameras between bursts of maniacal laughter raising my arms welcome to your nightmare the idea that this is our heroine that our heroine instead of being the genteel I'm just going to whinge with kindness and I have innate power and she's like fuck you (laughs) like Look at me now. I'm the captain. <laughs> it's just so like good because it's like I just it's that energy that I want that I have. The fact that she has her like narrative throughout most of the story is also her coming to terms with how her family has mistreated and abandoned her and how they have been cruel, inherently cruel in part of the system because the system told them to be and she has this vengeance need this anger and then she's not just this font of forgiveness and wisdom but she is being victimized and has been victimized by these horrible expectations of women and these horrible abuses gendered abuses and she showers fury on them that is a power fantasy fucking power fantasy for me and i'll admit it i'm not scared of that I'm 100% in awe of this character and her presentation and her just dynamic and force and her fearlessness with overcoming the generational and ongoing and systemic violence that she and other women have, have to experience within this world. There's a couple of really in- interesting pieces of this narrative where other side characters who you expect to be sort of sisters in that pain aren't actually reacting in the way in the same ways that the 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 angry protag has right yeah like not everyone can see through the matrix and so you see you know like women hurting women Mm -hmm. in order to sort of like exist within this the system you know and and to gain power within the system and here is the protag just sort of like fuck it yep. i'm a bust through i'm a bust through and you know a, a lot of the a lot of the teasers for the next book and the duology because part of her part of her deal is she sort of suborns this this legendary character this book feels like three books in one 
she suborns this legendary character as part of the final plot device to win the day. Mm-hmm. That person kind of goes full big crazy on her in a very possessive way that feels very fan fiction-y, which I love. And I'm very excited because like she is this character that I 100% expect if I went on AO3 and filtered for it, would have all, that people would have a lot to say about. I feel like she's a character that people <clears throat> can really relate to in the way that she's processing her feelings. And I feel like other people, if they were, the people who would relate to the other characters probably won't read this book because of the way it's being marketed. But if they were, I would hope that they would see themselves in the other characters to their detriment because like it, it is not a book that is like, well, every side is valid. It's like definitely calling. Yeah based on a moral compass that I know you and I agree with, Erin, but, like, other people would see as not. It's a pretty extreme, quote, book for something that is marketed to teens, but I don't know, looking back on the history of the books that I read as a teen, if that's just not the way it is and the adults aren't catching it because they don't read. (laughs) You know, like... Maybe. Did our parents just not catch the radicalization of the youth because they refused to read? Is that what's happening? In a world that allowed Animorphs to exist, we still we have Iron Widow, which is again <laughs> teenagers fighting war and getting fucked up. You know, uh, and it's I'm glad you mentioned the moral compass piece because it does. Um, you get presented with a variety of complex characters. One hundred percent, you do. I think each of them have their flaws and for anybody who's read this book and wants to be a fucking critic and try to be cynical about it yes Zacian is presented like without flaw but she embraces like it's not like she ever tries to be good her entire goal in this book just given away like page one is to kill the guy who killed her sister and then die. (laughs) You know, then it just happens that she never dies. And then she's like, well, fuck you then I'm going to bring down the system. I'm going to make things as hard for you as I possibly can. Great. She leans into it. She never tries to be good. Oh man. I forgot a hundred percent about her original narrative. Even like I completely glossed over the fact that her sister had died. Like, yeah, There's so much that goes on in this book, y'all. There's so much. So one of the things about when you pilot a chrysalis with a pilot is that you, what mostly happens to the women is they get trapped into the male pilot's mind space. And it's a metaphor of controlling for, uh, it's for fighting for control of the chrysalis. And usually I guess happens is that women get consumed and killed within that narrative Uh, most often they don't escape they don't remember that it's fake they get overpowered by it and end up being kind of sucked dry by the male pilot and dying Um, the male pilot mind you is fully aware of when this happens like he can also sense her feelings and just powers through it and shuts it down so uh can we talk about that for a second though too sure because like part of the trap is that they that they are offered basically a glimpse of the inner child of the male 
co-pilot yeah. and their training is to comfort that child at all costs yes so it's literally infantilize this male until you give everything protecting him and then let him you like consume uh-huh. you like a parasite uh-huh it's terrible it's fucking terrible it's very graphic yeah but it feels it's, very real yeah it's very much like you have to give your all to him so he can go save the day but you're probably gonna die <laughs> but that's okay talking to the characters i don't want to give away like a lot of the hook but what happens to the station at least is that when she meets some of these characters they are socially like perfect versus unacceptable for example the one that she has to kill or she wants to kill is the perfect he's number two in the rankings he's just like everybody adores him yet her first experience to him with him and the memories that she sees within his mind space are of him unflinchingly attacking women for complacency. Even with her, when she's with him on the first night that she's recruited and they have to go to fight, he like duct tapes her, smashes her head into stuff, and is just like, let's go, throws her over his shoulder and just straps her in without her consent. And those are memories that she sees repeated, like while in this mind state with also some of the other creepy, um, you know, like seduction tactics that he uses on all these women. So he's perfect in society's eyes, but behind the screen, he's beating the shit out of people. He's doing things that the institution also knows about. So it's not even behind the scenes. The other guys know that he's beating people in fact they witness him with duct tape on her her tied up throwing her into the uh machine without her consent i mean he tears her clothes off of her so she can get plugged into the machine correctly does all of this with witnesses who don't stop him so the world has okayed his actions but we are very clearly presented with it doesn't fucking matter that's really really shitty things to do that's villainous things to do and iron widow is a villain because villainous because she (laughs) didn't give a fuck that it was a child in his mind space didn't give a fuck that he was number two in the rankings he kills women she fucking takes him out whereas like Li lee shimin um he is somebody who killed his family and so he is unacceptable he killed men they cut off his hair his top knot. He like is a family destroyer, but because he kills men, he is villainized, even though he's number one in the ranks. He's fucking top dog in the army. So they slap them together and the memories that she sees are all filled with fear and sorrow. And she totally drags him across the coals for it while she goes on her journey of understanding him and his character. But like, she gets she sees literally inside these people's heads by the time she encounters him it's more like i'm gonna kill you because you also kill women because you're a pilot <laughs> like and that's what happens every time somebody is strapped in yeah there there the comparison between the two of how he is an abhorrent person because he killed the men in his family his father and his brothers whereas the other but is like 
worth saving because of later character development. And then the other guy who she killed, who everybody adores because he only kills women, <laughs> but he does it in war, so it's okay, but is an actually an abhorrent person I thought was really great, but it really does point us into actual moral codes. There are other characters in other situations who, you know, we have convinced ourselves in a lot of regards and rightfully so these are victims of patriarchy as a whole but we have convinced ourselves to pity these characters and she decides to go against that narrative and do some pretty poignant acts that for her for the injustice of the situations that were forced upon her i can't really blame her for and i it's just it's I don't know. It's just a really like interesting moral code and really reflective. Like if I was to sit and think about the way the story ended with her family, it would add a clear wrench to a lot of personal beliefs about growth and healing. And it really also does challenge even like, I mean, obviously the narrative that um, Zhao presents in the book, but also the narrative that we even have in the United States about relationships with our parents. And it's like, holy shit, of course, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I, there's a lot of thought that I could overthink in it, but it's, you know, it's a book for kids, but I really do like how it talks about the variety of characters, provides a moral code, is about feminism, is about how the system does, though it benefits people, it really doesn't. It's just really fucking good also, like as a story. Yeah. And all, as you're talking about this, um, her, her her other aspects kind of popped up because she she reads as like my favorite kind of character like and i was like oh i know that i know that she was written as a morally gray and i remember that there were other things and i'd completely fucking forgotten about the foot binding mm-hmm. the fucking foot binding it's a disability narrative as well mm-hmm. oh, it's just so well done yeah the foot binding that's also forced upon her by her grandmother. Yeah, so there's like, there's so much wrapped into this narrative. It's just so fucking good. And like, yeah, it's just really, really good. I really want to add like, I want to talk about how the ending hit me. The actual ending and then the epilogue. The ending was again very powerful very like fucking fantasy wreck the shit win the world save the day power and i fucking loved it because then also she and her team found who their true allies were and she gets to deliver such beautiful justice on those who actively harmed her through the book and it's so good perfect Mwah. But then there's an epilogue, right? <laughs> and then the genre changes. <laughs> Holy shit, yeah. Okay, kind of saw it coming. But like, yeah, that ending hit though. Like, holy shit. Of course I don't, I actually don't want to give spoilers for it. So I, I have to figure out how to talk about this in like a way that <laughs> uh, doesn't give anything away. Oh, can I, I'll take a stab at it. Sure. So, as is often the case with young adult books, like, we see this in The Hunger Games, and we see this in the really failed Divergent series. After the end of the first book, the second book opens up the universe more. Okay. And 
I think I was caught a little bit off guard because this does that. This opens up the scope of the narrative. It, it, it takes it up a level. But because of the way the book was paced, I thought I thought that they had already done that in the course of the first book. So you really get like a step and then another step and then another step. And then at the epilogue, you're on like four steps of perspective shifts so it kind of gives you the promise of a higher level of storytelling which i don't know is shocking and appalling to me that the stakes just kept getting raised that way in a way that didn't break my suspension of disbelief so that's kind of how that one hit me it was it shifted to a horror genre yeah and it did it in a way that 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 it felt like it could actually be paid off and not in like sort of the prometheus way where they kind of just sort of wave their hands and make the eldritch horror of it all kind of disappear you know what i mean yeah so i'm kind of hoping for eldritch horror in the next one it's very like it's like how far do the elephants go you know like they go all the way up they all go they go all the way down and what happens when you see a system like just fucking all right the book exists at least mostly within one military base, which is the Great Wall, and two, like one town and one city, <laughs> like one village even in one city. And then to fucking explode it from there as like, I mean, the elephants just keep going up on levels of exploitation. But then it keeps also going into like level of fucking inhumane horror that's really being inflicted. And it's just like, holy shit. And her reaction to this reveal, I thought was really strong. And I've been thinking about it ever since I finished eating. Amazing. Yeah, I've just been thinking about it for so long. Of Like, what would you do? Okay, what would you do if you were all of a sudden exposed to that level of information i think i would do pretty something pretty fucking similar i would have a breakdown i would have like i'd have a crisis of faith um i would have this like overwhelming sense of loss of purposeless purposefulness like i would just i'd lose faith in myself the moral code i don't know i feel like I that entire conversation of like how could I have done that if it, it just everything about it is just so like my brain freezes in even trying to conceptualize what I would do with that level of a reveal. Have you thought about it? Um with the well on a couple of different fronts. The one that I I didn't really even make it past like I got stuck on the interior aspect of it because i have had a couple of pretty substantial existential crises that were pretty close to uh psychotic breaks in my past you know (laughs) history am i right (laughs) like the level of derealization that she must be experiencing at the end of that like i it hit hard but it also was done in like she got so good at using the tools of storytelling and i feel like a lot of fan fiction and like fandom people are really good at just sort of 
Like these are the tools. We're gonna sling them around because we're we're trying to get to a place, people. We're not gonna bother with trying to hide the tools behind the like you I want you to see the paint stroke so you know what I'm fucking putting down here, you know? And just just I was in just awe of them just sort of putting down paintbrushes and picking up like uh and I'm gonna switch over here to horror and just use the final girl and you know, like it ends with a very like impactful, like like final girl moment of like, oh shit, Jason's right behind me, you know what I mean? Like it has that same feeling of like, ah um <laughs> just kidding, you're still in the matrix, you know. Just that feeling of like it was all a dream. <laughs> like we're starting all over again from the beginning. Really kind of like hit me straight between the eyeballs and I was like, "Oh, holy shit, I know those feels. I know those feels." And also the way that it ends reminds me of all of my favorite horror movies like the conversation about like this was a narrative and we all know what the analogy is for motherfucker you know like so here just stew in how you feel about the real world implications and i really just can't even make myself think about her reaction to the deeds that she'd done under a different discourse like i just cannot even start to grapple with that like I cannot internalize that level of violence enough it's just so widespread it's like trying to it's like trying to envision a million you know what I mean like or a billion just trying to figure out oh shit that was a lot you know it's like even being confronted with the like you know that that old that old story about like you get a million dollars every time you hit the button but when you hit the button a stranger dies you know mm-hmm. like it gave me that kind of a feel but it's not something like I have too many like have too many walls up around that like even just the existential crisis of like unlocking that next level of my perspective in the world like going from oh i'm on america to oh i'm on the earth to oh i'm looking down from the moon at the globe and look at all these other planets you know what i mean it it like took me i like followed it a level too high and all of my uh emergency steel doors like slid down <laughs> i was like oh done I cannot think about like having been the you know the person that is in this anymore because I got close enough to that to go like oh well you know this is all just a dream in my head I'm secretly sitting you know like I'm this is the flash of my life you know what I mean like I've been dead for three seconds and I'm just you know getting crazier and crazier as like my brain stops sputtering you know like whatever the fuck analogy it is or whatever scenario it is my brain just threw the emergency break and was like nope we're done thinking about it <laughs> but wasn't that such a good fucking book yeah but I, i'm really glad that it was a short epilogue because i i definitely could not have handled trying to like just just white knuckle that shit through you know oh it was a wonderful strong ending I feel like Shiron really could have made you deal with a couple chapters of that and not lost you. Like, I think they are just a wonderful author who could keep your suspension of disbelief steady. I really do. Yeah. I'm very excited about the second book. Yeah, me too. And I hope our listeners are excited about what we talked about with it. Because it just, like, it hit really quality as, like, a story as kind of a sci-fi fantasy story and then it also just hit really good as a way to facilitate discourse so like it just is a really well-rounded 
book in like defies expectations it's new it's spicy it's a novel experience to my brain tongue i don't think i'm ever going to say that again it's gen z (laughs) there's also that but right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So listeners, I hope you pick it up and I hope you tell us what you think of it. If you have already picked it up and listen, tell us what you think of it. Tell us what you think of our perspective and how like you enjoyed or didn't enjoy it. You can find us where you already found us. Cause if you're listening, you've already found us already, but you can interact with us through our Twitter, our Facebook through for everyone media also and uh if you get the chance the whimsy the inclination drop a review on whatever options let you because occasionally i do try to read them to get a boost and we just want to know what you think we do hype up our spicy brains we want to know please we need the dopamine we are poor we are so poor on dopamine iron widow go fuck some shit up we love you Love you, bye. bye. Oh my god, it's a possum on a soccer field. <laughs> so cute. Okay. <laughs>